Amen. Wasn't that good? Thank you for sharing that beautiful song. I can see the hand. Was that called a mixed quartet? Is that what that is? Okay, very good. Thank you for sharing with us. Well, tonight let's turn to Genesis 15. We're back to Genesis, taking a look at some of the uh, events in the life of Abraham. And tonight we come to a passage and really focusing on one verse, primarily verse 6 of this passage. As we think about the only way of salvation. Now, it might seem odd that a passage in Genesis uh, to talk about the subject of the only way of salvation. But when you see this verse, it's actually the perfect verse to talk about this subject because it, it's in the book of Genesis. It's at the beginning. And yet we see the tone set, the way of salvation set in the book of Genesis that would carry forward all the way through the rest of the Bible and really all the way through to the end of time. There is only one way to be saved, and that is through uh, the grace of God, by grace through faith. A lot of people think, well, in the Old Testament, people were saved one way, and in the New Testament, people are saved another way. That in the Old Testament, people were saved by their works, by rituals, by uh, animal sacrifices, by keeping the law. But then after Jesus came, now we're saved by grace. Now, some people uh, don't even believe that, that after Jesus we're saved by grace. Uh, they're still wanting to be saved by works and by the law. But this idea that there was a different way of salvation in the Old Testament as compared to the New Testament, that couldn't be further from the truth. And that is proven without any doubt right here in Genesis 15. Look at verses 1 through 6. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, and that's talking about Abram, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Focusing there on verse 6. And he, meaning Abram, and Abram believed in the Lord, and he, meaning God, accounted it to him for righteousness. What we want from God and what we really need from God are not always the same things, are they? Our perception of need can be totally off target. And that's always true in our lives. 
going back to when we were children. But sometimes, and you still you see it in children, they think there's something they absolutely have to have, they can't live without, and they really don't need it, they just want it, right? And our perception can be that. God knew what Abram needed. Abram comes to God here talking about an heir, the promise of an heir. And he responded to God here with a request for what he thought his real need was. Asking God for an heir, for a son. And if what he understood the will of God to be for his life was to be accomplished, he thought he had to somehow manufacture having an heir. He didn't have one, and so he thought he would ask that Eleazar of Damascus in his household might be accepted as his heir before God. Eleazar had been his faithful servant for many years. And in Abram's eyes, he was qualified to take over the responsibility for his family. But God turned Abram's offer down to make Eleazar the heir. Instead, the Lord took Abram out and told him to look up in the sky and said, Count the stars if you are able to number them. Of course, he wouldn't have been able to to count all of them. And after giving Abram enough time to be overwhelmed by that number, the number of stars, he said, so shall your offspring be. God acted to give Abram what he really needed. In time, he would give, a, uh, he would give Abram a son, but a son wasn't his greatest need. His greatest need was to be saved. His greatest need was God. And God here acted in this situation, yes, to say, you're going to have an heir, and you're going to have innumerable offspring, but he was actually after more than that. He wanted Abram's heart. He wanted his faith. He wanted his trust. And here we find these words in verse 6, one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And Abram, he believed in the Lord, or believed God, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This represents the moment that Abram was actually saved. Because he put his faith, he put his trust fully, completely in God, in the Lord. And that's how everyone who is saved from sin... And made a child of God. That's how it always is done. We have to believe. We have to trust. We have to put our lives in God's hand. And receive his love and forgiveness. And God gives us. He accounts his grace to us. This is the first time that you'll find the word believe in the Bible. In fact, in this one verse we see the first time that three important words appear. The first time in all the Bible. The the word believe is found here the first time. The word credited or accounted, or it can be translated imputed. It's the first time we find it in the Bible. And the word righteousness. First time we find it in all of Scripture. And from the letters of Paul, we learn that this incident in the life of Abram is an illustration of how God meets the greatest need 
in the life of every human being. And that is to forgive, to bring salvation into their life. So let's look at this verse, verse 6, more closely. We find the word faith here, or believed. Some call this the human side of salvation. It's our end of the stick, you might say, when it comes to salvation. We have to believe. We have to trust. We have to place our faith And uh, that faith must be placed in God, in Jesus Christ. Now, Abram didn't have the full revelation of God in that moment. He didn't have the rest. He didn't have the Scripture, really. He didn't have the Old Testament Scripture or the New Testament Scripture. But he believed God. And that word believed is a word that means to put your full trust in. In a sense, it means to rest in God, to be so trusting of God that you now have rest in Him because you have let go and you have placed all of your trust in God Himself. Kind of when, like when you came in and sat down on these pews. You just some, some people sit down a lot harder than other people do. When they sit down, they just kind of, wow, they're really down in the pew. You, you never thought about the pew giving way and letting you hit the floor. I don't guess you thought about that. You trusted that that pew was going to support you, was going to hold you up. You could just sink into that pew and just rest in that pew. That's what it means to put your faith in God. You rest upon Him. You trust upon Him. And you have complete confidence in Him. Really, faith is... Uh, our is something we put our faith in God, but we can't have faith without God. The Bible says that the, that the Holy Spirit is seeking to draw all men, all people to the cross, to Christ. And so really, yes, we put our faith in him, but we wouldn't have any desire to put our faith in him if it wasn't for the work of God. So in that sense, salvation is God's work from beginning to end. Our very, the very act of putting faith in Him is only possible because He makes it possible, because He enlightens us, He draws us to Himself. Now, the big issue is, in theology, does God seek to draw all people to the cross or just certain people? I think the Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. He's trying to, he's seeking to draw all people to the cross, not just a certain few. But others will will say, well, he's already just picked out certain people and he only draws certain people. And the reason why other people are not saved is because they can't be saved, because the Lord doesn't try to save them. He doesn't draw them. I don't think that is... Uh, the full, complete understanding of what the Scripture says. I think Jesus came and died for everybody. And the Lord is seeking to draw all to Him. But not everybody will believe. Not everybody will trust Him. We know from the rest of Scripture that this word believe, faith, embodies everything that is involved in salvation as far as what We do. We put our faith in Him. We put our trust in Him. Faith, though, notice several things about it here. This word believe, that's where the word faith is coming from. Abraham believed God. That's what faith is. 
It is putting your trust in Him, believing in who God is and what He, what he wants for your life. That He is God and He is good and He loves us. Faith is apart from any religious rite or ordinance or ceremony. How do we know that? Because right here it says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In the fourth chapter of Romans, Paul gives great emphasis to where this statement occurs in the book of Genesis. He specifically is concerned about where it occurs in reference to circumcision. There were many teachers in Paul's day who were saying that in order to be right with God, you had to be circumcised first. And even to become a Christian, you know, the Judaizers said to become a Christian, you have to become a good Jew first. Meaning if you weren't circumcised, you had to be, and then you could become a Christian. But Paul said, no, that is not the gospel. Salvation is not based on some uh, ritual or ceremony or rite. And how do we know that? Because right here it says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This was before circumcision ever took place. And so we know that salvation was by grace through faith before there was any ritual or ceremony to take part in. So why now do human beings always want to try to add ritual and ceremony and some sort of action like that to salvation because it's human nature to want to make it about what we do to make it about us rather than about God the faith that brought Abram into right relationship with God was totally apart from the right of circumcision we find uh, circumcision uh, enter the picture a couple of chapters later but not here. And so Abram had already believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The faith that makes you right with God and receives God's greatest blessing is totally apart from ritual or rite or ceremony. And that's why we don't we don't believe that a person is saved by keeping some ritual. We don't have a list of rituals that we have to do in order to receive grace. Grace is not meted out by ceremonies that we do or things that we say or accomplish. That is not how God dispenses grace. He credits our account with righteousness on the basis of our faith our belief in Him. And when we put our trust in Him, He gives us His salvation. Faith is also totally apart from the law. This is Genesis 15. Had the law been given yet? Right here, had the law already been given? When did Moses, was Moses alive at this time? No, this is before Moses. Had Moses gone up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments? No, hadn't happened yet. And so uh, for those who would say, no, salvation is because you keep the law of God. The law didn't exist at this time. And yet salvation already did. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him 
for righteousness? What happens when something's accounted to you? What happens if something is accounted to you? That means that you look in your bank account and there's money there that wasn't there before. It was just, it's just credited to your account. It's not that you earned it. It's not that you manufactured it in some way. It just, it's just placed there. It is put in your account on your behalf. And this is what God did for Abraham right here. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He was made righteous in the sight of God. Not because of a ceremony. Not because of the law that was kept. There wasn't any law yet. But instead, on the basis of his faith. And a third thing to notice here, faith does not have to be perfect in order to receive the blessing. Was Abraham's faith perfect? Was he a perfect man? Did he perfectly trust God? No, he didn't. And just very shortly here, we're going to see, even when the promise came, when he was told that uh, his wife was going to have a baby, he didn't believe it. He, he thought he was crazy. He didn't have perfect faith, but he did have faith. He trusted God. God's giving us his grace is not dependent on us being perfect. It's all about him being perfect. He can take an imperfect person with imperfect faith and still give us his perfect grace. Because he is, a, he is a God full of grace and full of mercy. There is no such thing as perfect faith on this earth. Because we're not perfect. But the object of our faith must be perfect. See, we, we put so much emphasis looking at our faith sometimes that we forget to look at the object of our faith. The object of our faith is far more important than how perfect our faith is. Because when we put ourselves in the hands of Jesus Christ, that's why someone can be saved who doesn't have a full grasp of theology. They don't understand everything about the Bible. They just know that Jesus died for them. And they know they're a sinner and they need his help. And they cry out to him. And when, when you do that, he will forgive you. And he will come into your life. You don't have a perfect faith. You don't have a perfect understanding. But you do have a perfect Savior. You have a perfect God. And our salvation is dependent not on how perfect we are, but how perfect He is. It will never be as strong as we'd like it to be, our faith. Even the disciples who followed Jesus, what they say, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And we should be asking that every day. We want our faith to grow stronger. We want our faith to be increased. But if you have enough faith to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Then you have enough faith to be saved. Because he is a perfect savior. And he will forgive you. And he will come into your life. And of course that's why we believe that a person is saved to the uttermost. They're saved forever. Once saved, always saved. Why? Because it's not dependent on how perfect my faith is from moment to moment and day to day. It's dependent on how perfect our Savior is. And He holds us in the palm of His hand. And when we become His child, He never lets us go. 
because he is the perfect Savior. Faith does, does have to lean on a perfect object. And the object of our faith is Jesus. And what does it say here? Before the time of Jesus, Abram, he believed in the Lord. Not in himself, not in his works, not in a ceremony, not in the law. He believed in the Lord. And the Lord is a perfect object. And now we are, are blessed to have been able to see uh, clearly who the Lord is. Jesus came to reveal God to us in a perfect way. And so now we have a much fuller understanding of God's love and mercy and grace than even Abram did. And yet he had enough trust and faith to receive the grace and mercy of God. The word translated believed here, it means to lean all of your weight on a strong foundation, to trust Him, to rest in Him. And then righteousness, God's, God's act in our salvation. What does He do to us when we put our faith in Him? He makes us righteous. That's what it means to be saved. He makes us right with Him. He takes our, our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. In other words, we have no righteousness in and of ourselves because we're all sinners. But he replaces that with his righteousness. We are made right with him. And so Abram believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. He needed that more than he needed a son. Now, God was going to give him both. But here, he gives him what he needed most first. And that is a relationship with God. Salvation, the forgiveness of his sins. The counting, accounted it to him, is the word in some translations, it was imputed. That's an old Bible word, an old theological word. It was imputed to him. It was credited to him. It was accounted to him for righteousness. The root idea that God took what did not belong to Abraham and made it belong to him. He gave it to him. And that's what we call grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives us what we could never earn and what we could never deserve and he does it based on his mercy and his love and so this righteousness is something that is a gift from God and we should be so grateful for it Dr. Leslie Weatherhead has given a beautiful illustration of this act of God making us righteous he suggests that you imagine yourself standing before a full-length mirror now that can be a scary thought sometimes actually you are clothed, you are clothed in black, the black of discouragement, failure, self-loathing, and sin. As you continue to look at yourself in the mirror, you see another person moving toward you in the mirror. You instantly recognize this person as the Lord Jesus. 
he comes up beside you and takes his robe, a long, beautiful crimson robe, and drapes it over your shoulders. And now your black garments are completely covered with the crimson robe of Christ. And so when he accounts righteousness to you, it's as if the Lord comes and covers all of our filthy rags, our sin. He covers it with his blood, his crimson robe. And now when we stand before God, it's not our filthy, dirty rags that are visible. It is now the the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ in us, given to us by the love and mercy of God. That's what God did for Abram here. As an act of grace, he took the dirty, soiled, defiled garments of Abram and replaced them with the righteousness of God. He accounted it to him. He credited it to him. And that's what he needed. And that's what we need. And through Jesus Christ, he does that for us. Righteousness is the gift. It is the act of God. Only God could do this. This is something that nobody else could have ever done. We can't do for ourselves. And that's why it's so, it's so sad to see people who have the desire to be pleasing to God, but they're trying to be pleasing to God by doing what they can never do. They're trying to make themselves acceptable to God by their own righteousness, by their own action, and they can never do it. They have to surrender to Him. They have to rest in Him. They have to give up and let the Lord clothe them with His righteousness. The Scripture reminds us that from Adam until now, there has not been one righteous human being on the face of the earth. None is righteous. No, not one. And yet, God will make us righteous in His sight when we believe in Him, when we put our faith and our trust in Him. And so for Abram, God gave Abram this righteousness, and as one writer said, it was imputed to him on the credit, almost like, uh, it was it was a it was a charge account. It was it was imputed to him on the credit. He charged it against the record of the Lord Jesus, who would become his incarnate Son two thousand years later. When the Lord Jesus came to earth, he picked up the charges against Abram and paid them in full. He worked out in his own deed at the cross that righteousness that Abram had received almost 2,000 years earlier. And so when you think about the Old Testament saints and those who believed God, and just like Abram, it was accounted to them for righteousness, who paid that bill? Jesus paid that bill, just like he paid it for us. When he went to the cross, he was paying for the righteousness that Abraham received that day. And all of us, the righteousness, the forgiveness, the love of God that we received was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all who will ever believe, if, if people are on this earth another 10,000 years and people believe in Jesus Christ, everyone who's ever saved will 
be saved because their righteousness was bought and paid for by Jesus himself. I close with the story of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse of Philadelphia. He described a conversation he had with a man about his spiritual need. The man was searching but seemed to be enveloped in a deep spiritual darkness. He just couldn't see the light. And then almost in desperation, he asked Dr. Barnhouse, what does God want me to do? Tell me, and I'll try to do it. To this desperate searching soul, the great preacher said, all God desires of you is for you to believe him. He wants you to trust your need into his full hands. And so it is. Dr. Barnhouse had it right then, just as Abram did so many years before. He trusted, he believed in God, in the Lord. And it was accounted to him, credited to him, imputed to him for righteousness. It's, it's too simple, isn't it? It's too simple. And that's why people try to make it some other way. Because this is all of God and none of us. We trust Him. And He does the work of salvation. That is the grace and mercy and glory of God. But it is the gospel. And what a privilege it is to be able to rest in God, to trust Him. And then to know we are now and forever in his hands. And that is enough. He is enough. If you will put your trust in him, he will give you the thing that you need more than anything else. And then everything else will flow from that. Our greatest need is God himself. And he is ready to give himself to us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this great verse. And it is so clear, so direct. And we see that everything else that happens in, in the Bible flows from this great truth that you are willing to forgive. You are willing to give us righteousness, not because we deserve it or earn it, but because we simply put our trust in you. We rest in you. We throw ourselves upon your mercy. We give ourselves to you. And we thank you, Lord, for that, that tremendous love that you have bestowed upon us. That you did to Abram. And that you have done for all who will call upon your name. On the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, Lord, we pray that in this time of decision, you will help us to be truly grateful to you. And if there are decisions we need to make here, and perhaps, Lord, it is to rededicate ourselves to resting in you, trusting you fully and completely. Whatever you desire, we pray that your will would be done in us right now. And Lord, give us boldness to share this great message of your salvation to all that we know so that others will come to put their trust completely in you. 
We thank you and we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and